Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Academy, announcing the 24th of our Italian Wine Ambassador courses to be held in London, Austria, and Hong Kong from the 27th to the 29th of July. Are you up for the challenge of this demanding course? Do you want to be the next Italian Wine Ambassador? Learn more and apply now at vinitaliinternational.com. Italian Wine Podcast, a Wine to Wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th. 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit winetowine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2pm Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining uh, Jill, Gordon-Smith and I for uh, sharing business ideas. Uh, Our Wine to Wine session is five must-know facts for success in the Australian post-pandemic export market. So we hope we can share some interesting info with you all today. For us, it's this evening. So excuse me if I say the wrong time zone. Hi, Jill. Hey, Vanessa. How are you? And hi, everybody. It's fantastic to be here with you. So a little bit about us for a start. Um, I'm very excited to be here with Jill Gordon-Smith, who is an amazing woman in wine, uh, also a woman in Australian wine. She's not only a wine judge, she also sells wine. Uh, she's an incredible winemaker, which she hasn't put in her little bio here. And she's also won numerous awards, including Wine Communicator of the Year. So we are very lucky to have Jill with us today. And I'm absolutely uh, thrilled to be here with Vanessa, who I have a great admiration for. Uh, Vanessa's a judge, an importer, a restaurateur, and she's also the CEO of the Clifton's Group. And apart from that, whilst managing a family, Vanessa is also a very, um, and has been a very large importer of Italian wines into Australia. So hopefully tonight we can give you some insight into what's happening in Australia and some positives about um, importing into Australia. Indeed. And I think the most important thing about Jill and I is that we both love Italian wine. We're passionate passionate about Italian wines and we would love to help you bring it to Australia because we'd love to see more fabulous Italian wines here. Absolutely. And and I think that's one thing both um, Vanessa and I are Italian wine ambassadors through the Italy Academy and very proud to be so. And I think that's one of the things that we can talk about later about how we can help you by tapping into that. Indeed. In fact, Jill is an Italian wine expert, one of only a handful around the world. Um, I think, yes, quite lucky with that, but I love Italian wines. (laughs) You do. So uh, we have here just a list of our session discussion and, and objectives. So what we'd like to get through with you today feel free to throw questions in at any time. Um, We may, um, due to our technical prowess, only get to those at the end of what we're saying, but if you put questions in, we will find them. Um, So we'd like to cover off with you the impact of COVID on the Australian on and off-premise market, um, the maturity of the Australian market within the Asia-Pacific region, how to find the right, right importer for you or if you should go it alone, 
uh, the issues affecting imports and how to find solutions and then ways to connect to the Australian market. That's quite a few things we, we're going to talk about and a lot of this at the moment may not sound as positive as we'd like it, but we really truly believe that um, things are about to change. Yeah, we certainly hope so. And look, just a, a comment there on that map that we've put there to demonstrate how far as I'm sure you're aware, Italy is from Australia, which leads to some issues with freight and logistics, which we'll cover in a little bit. Absolutely. And I and I think that's that's a really good point, Vanessa, because most people don't realise, you know, how far away we are, but also how close we are to Asia. So we're only, a, if you get to Asia, we're just a hop and a step away, or well, probably about six hours. But um, yeah, I think that's really important. So let's have a chat about that, Vanessa. What do you think's changed during COVID? And you're, you've been in Sydney and I know you've been in lockdown. So mm. uh, I don't know if everybody realises, but can you tell us a little bit about what that's been like and how long you've been locked down for? Sure. So I, I used to spend a lot of my time bouncing between Sydney and Melbourne, but with COVID lockdowns, um, we've been very much uh, trapped at home. For the last four months in all of New South Wales, we haven't been able to go more than five kilometres. And even then, only with going the five kilometres, you're only allowed to leave home for specific reasons. Uh, Melbourne, which is the other main centre for um, F&B and, and wine and, and really the second economic centre in Australia, has been in lockdown on and off throughout the entire year. So we've been very much hit um, by COVID, especially by Delta when it's come through. I got a, I attended a session today um, that was an update on from the IMF on October figures, and I thought I'd share those quickly here. Um, IMF have downgraded Australia's GDP forecast for 2021 by 1.8%, uh, which is quite a big drop back for 2021. So we're now looking at a GDP growth for 2021 of 3.5%. So it's still positive, which is good, but it is slower than we'd expected and well behind the European market. I think Italy is at 58 um, for um. 2021. And I think we expected when we first went into COVID that we'd actually cope really well and that we would, you know, we were doing extremely well. But this extended lockdowns definitely had um, a big impact on the, the industry in also some positive ways. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So, Vanessa, you um, have run a chain of restaurants and some really amazing restaurants in Melbourne and Sydney. We're going to mention about on-premise. There's been a, a yeah. real reduction in sales. What's happened with on-premise? Yeah, look. On-premise has totally wound up other than for takeaway sales and on-premise takeaway sales aren't competitive because um, restaurants will have bought the wine at a, at a higher price and are used to selling, obviously, as we know, wines at a higher price than you would if you were uh, direct-to-consumer retail or wholesale. So there's not a lot happening. And my imports that um, my company would do was very much for on-premise sales. So that means that what the wines would normally be importing into a Australia also uh, has been very little activity for the last year. So, and Australia-wide on-premise sales have been very patchy this year. Although, yes. as Jill mentioned, we're expecting it to start bouncing back. But there's been and some I, real growth areas, haven't there, Jill? Well, there, there has. And I think one of the major growth areas that we've found has been direct-to-consumer. We know that we um, Australians have um, got quite a high um, per capita um, amount of wine and, and you know beverages that we consume and there's been a massive direct-to-consumer 
um, sales rush, and that's been including imports. And mm-hmm. for us, it's something that really saved us when we were closed down during COVID was the direct-to-consumer and also the fact that we could have bottle shops open because in Australia we consider that to be um, something that's really, really necessary. It's essential. That was an essential service. So I think, you know, we had some massive increased sales in retail as well. I think we were up 30% in retail. That's fantastic. I think that's a good thing to know about the Australian uh, culture is that many things were closed down, but for us, bottle shops remaining open was an essential service. So as Jill mentioned, those retail and online sales have um, continued. They have. And I think that, um, as we were saying, the on-premise will return. I mean, what's the first thing you did when you got out of lockdown last week, Vanessa? Oh, yes, I was telling Jill. So Monday uh, was the first slight lifting of lockdowns. And the first thing that I and some friends and colleagues did was go straight to the closest bar and celebrate with a glass of wine. And it, it was a Monday night and it was very busy. There was a lot of excitement to be out. And I think many Australians uh out there keen to bring back on premise and support their local bars and restaurants and i think we've um we've just about hit 80 percent vaccination rate or at least first vaccination rate in most cities now so i think as we get closer to christmas the um forecast is going to look a lot better for for sales indeed so we started talking a little bit about the Australian consumer and we've told you all that um, Australians love wine and we considered bottle shops an essential service. Shall we have a little bit more of a explore into that, Jill? Definitely. So um, let's have a little chat about knowing your target market or the structure mm-hmm. and the size of, of the Australian market and also the consumer and a bit about the preferences and the preconceptions. So um, with the target market, um, we actually have quite a big market for wine. I know that you've got some great um, stats coming up shortly. Yeah. Um, and Australians basically do like to, we love the Mediterranean lifestyle. We love to have wine and drink with most things. Um, and it's, it's a, even though we're only about 25 million people, I think, you know, with per capita, I think it's about two litres to three litres per head. That's quite a lot. So we, as a country, we drink more than 500 million litres of wine per year, and that's more than 100 million glasses of alcohol per week. I've got a graph there. I don't know if you can see it. It depends how tiny your screen is. Um, but uh, you can see that we've been increasing year on year. So alcohol consumption has increased. But interestingly, there's been a, the wine, amount of wine we consumed had been reducing. But between 2019 and 2020, that has gone up compared to other beverages as well. And um, as we mentioned before, we've seen online and direct consumer wine sales increasing and also the sales of imported wines are increasing. And I think that's worth noting that even with Italian wines, we have our imported wines would be New Zealand, first of all, then France. And then Italy is our third um, most imported wine. And that's gone up by roughly 3.1% between 2019 and 2020. So that's that's a really significant increase. And you were mentioning as well that um, the percentage of wine was, was wine being consumed was increasing. And that for yeah, me is well, very interesting. It is. It's a, a, a similar to the um, the import with Italian wine increase that you mentioned. It was three point something percent. So three point one. Yeah. Yeah. 
And thinking about the Australian market and who is drinking that wine, there's two pie charts there. Now, men drink 65% of the alcohol in Australia and women drink 35%, but women are the larger wine drinkers. So don't forget women in any of your um, marketing that's aimed at the Australian market. And I think thinking about women, not just, you know, to look at with sparkling wines and sort of lighter style wines, women are really educated in the Australian industry. We have a lot of female sommeliers and women really, really are quite discerning in what they drink. And they will, we go out a lot together and we also drink a lot of, you know, quite high end wines. So um, I think that's important to recognise mm. it's not just Prosecco sales. We drink a lot more than, than just fizz. That's right. And I think, you know, if we're looking at the on-premise market as well, uh, certainly within the restaurants, we find that women are often the more exploratory drinkers as well. They're far more open to suggestion of like, what else is new? What should I try? Whereas men may be, and I don't want to generalize, but slightly more traditional drinkers. They're going to go first for a beer, um, then for a red. So um, exactly. women, I think, cover the um, spectrum a little more. And you can see that with, you know, 48%, or nearly 49% of, of wine consumed by women and 21% with, with, with men. And I think you were, you were talking about 35 to 65-year-olds drink the most, but we've had a real increase in 18 to 24-year-olds consuming wine as a beverage, and they're really interested. And I was thinking about this when you mentioned this the other day. There's a those the organic and biodynamic side of things have really engaged the younger wine consumer. They are interested in trying new grapes, new things, and a lot of my customers would be anywhere from 18 to 80, but we have a big range of, say, 18 to 35-year-olds, and they're always the ones that want to drink something different. And this is where Italian wines are really something that, that interests them. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's really encouraging to see that our demographic interested in wine so that bodes very well for the future as well of the wine industry. Definitely. Um, and it's it's very interesting and we'll talk a little bit later about, you know, Australia being a very wine savvy country because we produce wine. We have a lot of wine that we sell here and of course with the pandemic we've found that, you know, our local market and with China um, and the issues that we've had with the Chinese market and the loss, I think we've had of nearly 28% of our sales to China. A lot of that's been consumed at home, but it doesn't mean that there's not the possibility for more imports because, as you've noted as well, imports are really something that people are interested in, trying something yeah. different. Yeah, exactly. And Jill and I were talking about this the other day and we think there's huge opportunity to increase the amount of international imports. Um, right now, as Jill mentioned earlier, New Zealand gets the lion's share of the import market and that's predominantly Sav Blanc and yeah, followed by Pinot Noir. And we'd love to see some new things other than NZ Sav Blanc on the market. Oh, I'd love to see Italian uh, wines, you know, taking a major share of that because, you know, I think with Sauvignon Blanc, you know, from it's Sauvignon Blanc, that's really mostly everything that comes in, whereas Italy has much more of a, of a variety of wines that would really suit the the Australian palate, you know, from Suave to Pinot Grigio, um, going right down to Campania, especially with the interest in Fiano and, and the varieties mm. that we're growing here. 
That's right. And look, um, Jill, you put some interesting notes together here on restaurants. So we put a few of the old classics that we love. But Jill, um, I had not even realised how many fantastic Italian restaurants there were in Australia. Well, think about it, Vanessa. Every single town you go to in Australia, even if it's an outback town in the middle of, you know, the the desert, there's an Italian restaurant. And I think one of the reasons for that is we have about 174,000 Italian-born people living in Australia, which, you know, considering we've only got a small population, it's quite a reasonable amount. And, of course, you know, they're, they're families. And it's something that Australians really relate to. And I think they really do love good Italian food and we've had a lot of people you know starting from the you know the 1900s coming to Australia but especially in the 20s and 40s and they've had a massive impact and some of the best restaurants in Australia are Italian for example you know the four restaurants were named some of the best Italian restaurants in the world so with um, Lumi and Italio Fico and of course 1889 um, in Brisbane and Dan, who, Dan Clark, who owns that, is actually a very big importer of Australian wines as well. And you've got a few favourites. I do. Look, I put some of the old classics there. Uh, Grossi Florentini in Melbourne, who opened in 1928. Beppi's, I think, opened in the 50s. Uh, and who else do we have there? There's... Um, uh, um, uh, Otto's. Yeah, Otto's has been around for a long time. A lot of these restaurants have been open for 20, 30, 40 years and are real institutions. There's a real um, love of Italian um, cuisine and there are some Italian wines in the market, but as we keep saying, we really believe there is room for more. It's just really, it's, it's timing. It's how we can um, crank up the market post-COVID. Absolutely. And I think for not just um, entry-level wines, I think there is an absolute market here for premium wines to come through. I sell Alana Fucci's uh, Titolo at the shop um, and that runs out and that's $110 that we sell that for. So, um, you know, lots of classics like Barolo, Barbaresco, of course, but also we're really interested in a lot of Southern Italian and Ireland wines. And, um, and one of my biggest selling wines is Suave. Oh, that's a lovely wine. And I think a, a, an easy one for us to sell as well with a little bit of um, a, a little bit of communication about, about what the wine is like. Certainly in the restaurants, we find that people come in looking for something new and they want something that, you know, what I, I want to, for our lovely Mediterranean lifestyle, they'll quite often want a white wine. They'll want something that has a little bit of um, body or that's um, fairly aromatic. And there's such an amazing range of Italian wines that we can suggest. And the fantastic thing is how Australians are becoming more familiar with native Italian varieties. And one of Jill's many hats that she wears is a fantastic winemaker specialising in native Italian wines, uh, native Italian uh, grapes, but grown right here in Australia. And I think, Jill, you've done an incredible job helping to educate the Australian market um, by producing these beautiful wines. And they want to try what they've tried Jill's wines and then they want to see what the uh, wine from Italy would taste like. And I think that that's something that, you know, uh, works really well in Australia because even though we grow Italian grapes and, and it's something that we found is really suiting our lifestyle, it's, you know, as our culture's changing, we're very 
similar to Mediterranean countries. So wine is part of the meal. It's not just for drinking. And we've been changing the drinking culture of Australians. So lower alcohol, more moderation, more savouriness. This is where Italian grape varieties really come into it. And as you said, we grow some of those grapes here, but what people want to do is see the originals. So I think it's not a threat. I think it's absolutely a positive um, chance to bring in some of those other varieties. I make a skin contact orange wine and I sell so much Vecchio Samperi um, or um, Vernaccia di Oristano in my shop. So, you know, we're open to all sorts of flavours and tastes um, from lighter style reds. And I know the, the public now are looking for those lighter style reds with some savouriness, but also beautiful freshness and acidity and this is where I think Italian um, wines have almost been more accepted than a lot of French grapes that we have so you know and we've got so many more choices. Thank you for listening to Italian Wine Podcast. We know there are many of you listening out there, so we just want to interrupt for a small ask. Italian Wine Podcast is in the running for an award, the best podcast listening platform through the Podcast Awards, the People's Choice. Listener nominations is from July 1st to the 31st, and we would really appreciate your vote. We are hoping our listeners will come through for us. So if you have a second and could do this small thing for us, just head Head to italianwinepodcast.com from July 1st to the 31st and click the link. We thank you and back to the show. We do indeed. And so we put a little bit here together on what we wanted to go through in terms of barriers to entering the market, but also what we saw as opportunities. And the first thing we put up there was closures. Which yes. <laughs> And Australians love screw caps. We make, uh, we produce our own premium wines with a screw cap. And within many restaurants now, uh, a lot of uh, people, especially in restaurants without trained sommelier staff, they will really struggle with a cork because they're used to just being able to crack open a screw cap and pour. And honestly, the Australian consumer is now so accepting of a screw cap that um, they, there's absolutely no issue in in that as a closure. In fact, what people want to see is to pour the wine in the glass and taste the wine and not necessarily looking for a big show of taking a cork from a bottle unless they're looking for a super premium experience. I think that's, that was a fair comment. That's an absolutely fair comment. And I can tell you um, people like Pirapan, who started 20 years ago um, bringing their wines into Australia under screw cap through Trembath and Taylor, we're crazy. Um, Vasilino sells really well. He puts his wines um, under screw cap. So don't be afraid of, you know, using a screw cap. Firstly, much easier for the Australian market because it's really hard to actually get a corkscrew here at times. Um, but I think most um, most importantly, it's really great when you're shipping wines, you know, to have it under screw cap. We are really, really open to it and not just your entry level. You can sort of go to mid-level wines with, with screw cap as well. So, yeah, don't don't think that it's not going to sell in Australia. Screw caps sell really well. And, in fact, if I'm buying wine and it's under screw cap, um, I'm more likely to, to buy that and pour that by the glass because, as you said, much easier in a restaurant. Um, we also talked about labelling. And one thing that we've found very hard in some 
markets that import into Australia is they won't write the grape variety on the bottle. And I'm seeing it more and more in Italian wines. And I think it doesn't have to be on the front label, but somewhere put the grape variety. It's something I think that would really increase your chance to sell wines. What do you think, Vanessa? Yeah, absolutely. Australians have grown up with wines, not by region or terroir, but by the variety. We don't have a lot of legislation here over what you can grow where. It's really all about what is the variety and what does it taste like. And yes, it may taste different in different environments, but people want to know what the grape is. And it's a great opportunity if you can put the varieties on the back and maybe a little descriptor on what it's like um, that will sell a lot of wine here. And I think you've you've just highlighted a really important point. If you are importing into Australia, providing some tasting notes, but a little bit of the history as well, not just a traditional tasting note. It's, you know, we are really interested in where things come from, how they're grown, and and even suggestions of what you serve them with. Those sorts of things really help with distributors. And we were talking about the impact of Italy on Australian culture. It is massive. We're a coastal-loving um, country. We live along the coast. We have um, a varied climate you're probably not familiar with. We actually have snow in Australia. Um, so, you know, all sorts of wines are are a possibility to sell here um, and including organic and biodynamic and there's a massive organic and biodynamic um, push in Australia. So those sorts of um, importers are actually doing very well as well. And we're becoming more familiar with the different grape varieties because we grow them here um, or some of them here. I think, you know, Chalmers has been very instrumental in bringing in those those grapes to Australia. And um, once Australians can say it, For example, Montepulciano has become quite um, a good seller because we like to shorten everything. So we call it Monte. Um, But, you know, Australians are really keen to try those new things. I mean, even Alianico, we grow um, lots of Vermentino. Um, Once they've tried the Australian version, they want to try the original because we really are interested and and we really love love Italy. It's it's crazy Um, just how much. You know, how much of a difference that that can make. And the Fiano and Arnais are both becoming quite popular. People do know Chianti. That is a region that definitely people are familiar with. Um, they will think that Prosecco is probably a variety uh, as yeah. opposed to a region, but... <laughs> yes, um, yeah, for sure. And also Barolo, Barbaresco, and um, and at the moment, Nero Davila. So Sicily mm. is something that's really interesting to the Australian market and you know, narrow dabble is being planted in a lot of our regions and people I get people coming in constantly asking for Italian narrows. They want to try um the yes. original rich original wine. Becoming very popular indeed. And uh, Jill, I think you made a really good point about when we're talking about what to put on the label um, that Australians love a story. It, if you can put something which is a little bit about where the wine is from, not necessarily from a terroir perspective, but from the history or or you know what it may be beautiful to drink with, having that story interwoven there is important. And who you are, and we want to know. Australians really like to know who you are and the mm. story of your your label, not just technical data. Um, they really do want to know about you. So I think telling your own story and getting somebody to translate that into reasonable English um, is is probably something to think about. And I was thinking also, you know, we have six, five now, so we've got five ambassadors in Australia 
um, from you, um, uh, Daniele Marcello, who's based in Sydney as well, Cara Masano, who's based in Melbourne, and of course of Italian descent, and Julia Men uh, Men Menjone. Um, so we do actually have people here that can you could contact and cons I was thinking about the consortios. We've got ambassadors that could really be used here to help you get your wines out there. So if you're doing a trade show or there is a consortio that is doing a push into Australia, contact VIA and use the VIA ambassadors because everybody that's gone through the program loves Italian wine and has actually made a real effort to get over to Italy and do it because, you know, we've, uh, we're a very small percentage, but we're people who really do drink a lot of wine and a lot of Italian wine. That's right. That's a really good point, Jill. You know, if we could possibly be in Verona with you all right now, then we would we be. Would. <laughs> so, and, and any um, via, um, uh, anyone who's been through the program would be more than happy to help bring your wines in and offer advice and connections. Absolutely. And I think you're not doing this alone, um, but I don't think a lot of the consortia maybe know about us and they're not really taking advantage of a resource that's already here for you. So feel free to take advantage of us. Mm, exactly. And I and I think that brings us to opportunities for collaboration. And you you had some really good points about about you know collaborating. Um, and we were talking about the fact that um, and when we get and talk about a few of the the issues that collaborations can really help. Yeah, they absolutely can. I'm going to flick through now because I'm also aware of time. We talked a little bit about imports coming in. You can see there, as we mentioned, New Zealand accounts for 341 million of our imports. France comes in second at 320 million. Italy third at 104 million, which is approximately 66 million euro. Um, so a, about a billion dollars a year is um is imported wine into Australia and our total domestic market is 40 billion so there's a huge gap there we Jill and I are seeing that people are interested in something different so I really think there's the opportunity to, to increase the imports yeah definitely absolutely and you know 100 and 104 million we, we'd really like to see that that increase so um, I know that you know we were talking about the fact that we do have quite a lot of importers and probably people that would do small, like they might have been to Italy and they'll start an import business right through to massive companies who have been importing for many, many years like Trimbath and Taylor. Yeah. Negotiants. Indeed. So actually, I'll just I'll flick ahead. We can always go back to that slide. So Jill's put together an amazing list here of some example distributors. There are so many though, aren't there? Yeah, so we're talking, you know, with the distributors, as you, you were saying, it's less risk, fast route to market, but there's some hidden pitfalls. You really do need to know your distributor. So people like Adley Clark in Brisbane, um, Babendum, who are a really fantastic uh, import company. We've got, you know, smaller people like Franca About Wine and Kelvino, who a lot of these people are Italian and speak Italian, um, Mediterraneo, um, right through to, you know, Andrew Garth, who's right on the forefront of the natural wine and, and mineral intervention scene. And Giorgio Gamara, he brings in a lot of wines from all over Italy, but a lot from sort of around um, the Veneto. And uh, negotiants who are very big, they have a, a portfolio that encompasses most countries in the world. And then things like um, Delicarum, um, this is an uh, Italian 
girl who's fantastic and she really does specialise in small producers right through to Trembath and Taylor who have been importing for over 25 years. So there's a lot of different sizes here of, of um, distributors. There are. So plenty of, of options there. And if I, I pop back, I mean, it, in a couple of our slides, you have the option of going through an Australian importer or going direct. Um, the things to be aware of is that Australia is a long way away. The freight and logistics can be costly and difficult. You have to use refrigerated units. You need to go yes. with uh, somebody like Hillebrand, which does add to your cost, but you could not possibly risk all that distance without um, proper management of your wines. So, uh, and really you need to be, because of the cost and the distance, you need to be bringing in a full container loads at a time. So either you have to make a big commitment and ship that and set up an office here and get some local advice but run it yourself or look at finding a partner or other producers who'd like to go in um, together to manage some of those logistics and share the costs or, or go with one of the many Australian importers. And I think that it's very interesting when you're talking about that, there's um, actually um, a couple of people in Australia that put together containers in Italy for a lot of different people. So I know they do it for Qantas and, and a few other um, mm. bigger companies as well as small ones in um, Lesky does that. And the biggest issue we've had at the moment is freight. Unfortunately, freight's, freight costs have doubled. Everybody I spoke to, and I ran quite a few importers before this talk to you know, get their perspective and they said freight costs are killing killing it so um and very hard to get containers at the moment i know there's a world shortage of containers so um and i'll, I'll call this the boring slide but it's it's important okay. that everyone's aware it's the compliance and logistics slide so oh, in, in dear, terms yes. of yeah <laughs> what we need to do to bring it in you've got to think about um the legal requirements for labelling. Our tax system in Australia is, is quite nasty. We have something called wet it tax is. and as soon as your wine lands, it's a 29% tax, not only on the wine but also on the shipping cost to get the wine to the country. And the uh, import tax as well, so that's a bit of an issue, definitely. I think it normally, Vanessa, it works out about three times. So if you pay 10 euros, by the time you get it here, it's 30 euros. Indeed, it is. And there's a few things you need to, be, if you're aware, you can save yourself some of the upfront costs. Uh, you can get a bonded warehouse, which means that your wine sits there and until it's sold, you don't have to pay the tax. Um, or again, in, in many ways, I think it is easier if you're starting out to go through a distributor, because while you have more control and you may be able to uh, keep more margin going direct mistakes can be very expensive and it is a complex tax system and also I popped a note there about licensing there's state-based licensing requirements and that means that if you're selling across Australia your your legal requirements of reporting are different in each different state uh, so there's a lot to get your head around there and I think that's 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 probably really good advice you know if I was the first time um, exporter into Australia I would be definitely looking to go through a local distributor or importer because otherwise, you, as you said, having someone here, it's a bit hard. Um, but I know that you do have um, quite a few different companies in Italy that look after small producers and put everything together. So that's something to maybe consider. But, yeah, think about the shipping. Logistics, we're a big country. Australians, you know, you know, it is massive from one side of Australia to the other side. You know, how many times do we fit into, uh, does Europe fit into us? 
That's right. Yes. Well, actually, I got the the um. I looked that up just before this week. Australia is seven point seven million square kilometers, and Italy is less than four percent of that size. So we could fit the whole of Europe into Australia a couple of times. And and everything is around the coast, so our freight, even for Australian wine, is very expensive. So we have to get it. So Melbourne and Sydney seem to be the main um, import areas, and then it gets graded out. So that adds to the cost, especially even for retail. We have that freight cost involved in it. We do have some great specialist um, distributors, though, once you are, as in freight um, specialists, once you get to Australia, there's a company yes. called BAM, BAM Logistics, and they are they're specialist um, warehousing and they'll ship all around the country for you. So there are solutions. You can do it yourself if that's the way you want to go. And I think that's important. There are solutions to all of these 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 issues. And I think, you know, um, one of the most important things to think about is, you know, if you're going to go to Singapore and you're doing a trade show there, please come that bit further because I really do believe that Australia is a market that is even an entryway into what was an entryway into China because when people are, you know, um, people get used to the the grapes that we're growing here and have been buying our grapes, they always want the originals. But, yes, I think if you're going to Singapore, um, come that bit further. It's only six hours. You'll be made really welcome. You'll get to eat some very good food and we'd really like you to, I think we need to really start to look at our sommeliers. We have a very professional group of sommeliers and um, they are really keen. I mean, every trade show you go to, it's packed. People want to learn. They want to try new wines. They're really interested in Italian varieties. So we really do need to start to look at um, the sommeliers and start to invite them to some of the events. Yeah, we do. That's a good point. Now, I'm aware we haven't got long left. So if there's anyone who has any questions they'd like to ask, please pop them in the chat and um, we will get to those. And we've got a list here just of our key takeaways, the things that we, um, yeah, our key points for you. And Jill and I are happy to answer questions too. So our details at the end are free to reach out. But we've said we are just reopening. It's really hit us quite hard. We're all desperate to get out of here, but you probably don't realise we've actually been locked out of even leaving our own country. And that hopefully will be opening up in December. Yay. Have you already booked tickets for Nathan? Oh, no. Well, I've booked tickets and had them cancelled so many times. <laughs> um, but the market's slow, but it will bounce back. And it, it always does. And there is, as we said, there are so many Italian restaurants in Australia and Italian varieties are readily accepted. They're flavours and tastes that we really um, are comfortable with and want to know more about. And also, as I said, send your best and stay competitive with minimum orders. At the moment, people are going to be a little bit slow when they first start ordering. But until your brand's recognised, then you can really take off. So if you're happy to, you know, allow smaller orders, what do you think about that, Vanessa? Yeah, look, I think that is um, a really good point. Um, that we do want, uh, you do need to be competitive because there's a lot of Australian wines on the market. However, people are wanting to see new and interesting things. And they need to be good quality wines, though. We've got Absolutely. plenty of low-cost wines, so um, the Send Your Best is, is a really great takeaway. Yeah, because we do. We have a lot of, you know, we make a lot of wine in Australia, so we really we can cover a lot of the cheaper entry-level wines, Send Your Best. And engaging government, this is something we talked about in freight discussions. It would be really, you know, if there is something that the Italian government or Ite could do, it would be to start talking about freight and helping importers. Um 
and even just helping people that are new to the market as importers um, with guidelines, some really simple guidelines about the best Italian companies to use or yeah. the best way to consolidate all your pallets, things like that. And I think, as we said there, consortiums and Italian trade agencies need to include Australian representatives in tastings and events, which I know we go to initially. We've got quite a, there's always quite a big Italian contingent that nobody really knows about. Indeed. Now, I can see that we have a question here. Um, how is the younger Australian generation, um, how does it look for the industry as a future consumer? Uh, curious about the history of wine, for example. Look, yes, people are um, uh, curious about the history of wine. And um, we had a slide earlier, I'm sure you can get these slides later, on the Australian demographics. And we were saying that the 18 to 24-year-olds are really increasing their consumption of wine, which is quite exciting because it means that um, the wine industry is um, is going to be on a, a real growth phase here. It, in the previous years, it had been an older demographic that was the main wine drinkers. So uh, the biggest consumers are still the 35 to 64-year-olds. And I think as far as the younger generation, I have a class school just sitting about 500 feet away from me who they're so interested in the history of wine. We have so many educational um, institutions here in Australia and in South Australia we have some of the best um, educational institutions for wine and wine marketing around and I can tell you they're full. All of our classes yes. are full. We have so many young people that are just so passionate. Somalia, I think, has really just become in the last 10 years a really um, amazing job here in Australia. So it, that's changed as well. Um, so, yes, younger people, they're really passionate. They're passionate about varieties. They're passionate about organic and biodynamic wines. They're passionate about, you know, traditional Italian wines. I mean, I sell so much um, Barolo. It's incredible. Mm. And as you said, Chianti. Um, but also they're very open-minded and they're really interested to try new things. I'm actually getting to the point where on Friday nights at the shop, you know, I have to have something new every week. This week we had Vespolina and Uvarara. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It, it certainly, it, when we've made the comment about make sure you're bringing in quality wines, I was always surprised um, when the restaurants were open, which they will be again soon, how much Barolo we would sell because people would want to try premium. They, you know, no, they no. know the Australian wines. They want to try something else. It's like, well, what is going to be like the big Australian wines that I like? I know, and it's and that's something Australians do as well. Um, and um, I try and encourage them not to, but they'll say, what is like a Shiraz? Because the majority yes. of reds that we've got planted in Australia are Shiraz. So we can offer them something like Nero. Um, and they they really love it because they like that full flavoured sort of character. But you know, even open to things like we've been selling Galliopo from Calabria. We've been selling lots of stuff from Puglia um, because it's got quite generous palate that a lot of Australians like. Right through to Alpine Nebbiolo's uh, Schiava. That I'm selling a lot of stuff from Alto Adige at the moment. So look, Australians are really open. We just have to be um, included and educated. So I think there is some really absolute positives. In fact, we're about to start our first imports, hopefully by Christmas, if I can get some freight um, containers. Yes. <laughs> so that, 
So I think, you know, in summary, there are challenges, but we're expecting things to improve. And we were a bit doom and gloom at the beginning because we've been in lockdown for such a long time and the economy really has taken a significant hit. But we're at the point now where, as um, we mentioned, we're 80% um, at least across all of Australia, at least 80% vaccinated. Um, in some of the larger cities now, um, it, it's even higher than that for first vaccination, so fully vaccinated as a population by Christmas, uh, which would then mean that our borders will reopen, we should have less supply and logistics issues, and also all of the restaurants and bars can open up that have been closed. So I expect a big escalation for our summer, which is um, December, January. Yep, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it and, and um, very excited to start importing Italian wines in the new year. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, thank you, everyone. And thanks for having us and lovely to see you. Yeah, it has been such a pleasure. Enjoy uh, Verona, should you be there. Oh, and we miss you, Verona. We do. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitali Academy, home of the gold standard of Italian wine education. Do you want to be the next ambassador? Apply online at vinitaliinternational.com for courses in London, Austria, and Hong Kong, the 27th to the 29th of July. Remember to subscribe and like Italian Wine Podcast, and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com. Hi guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.